0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Shooker Rights podcast with your host, Shooker Rights. Today, I am excited and very happy to be joined by Bay Area sports reporter and Bay Area freelance broadcaster, Mr. Ben Ross, who joins the podcast today. What's going on, my man? How's it going?
1: Hey, man, doing well. Thanks for having me on. How are you?
0: I am, I am adjusting to life post-Blizzard. It is cold. Yeah. It is sunny, but the sun means absolutely nothing. And I envy you because you're in a much milder climates that I, I would prefer to be in at the moment but 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 that's enough complaining at the moment but
1: i'm good i'm good <laughs> <laughs> yeah no definitely definitely much milder out here in san francisco uh you know it gets a little bit chilly but never cold enough to snow and we, yeah that's one thing we never have to deal with is blizzards out here uh <sighs> People, I don't even know what it would be like if it snowed here. People are are bad enough at driving in the rain, so oh, I, I don't even want to imagine what the drivers would be like <laughs> if it ever snowed out here.
0: I can't even begin to imagine like what driving is like in, the, in like in, in the Bay Area. So tell me, like, how bad is the drivers um, in in the Bay Area when it comes to like rain? Because you said something there that really stood out to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny, actually, I, I'm originally from LA and I think wow, they're nice. LA notoriously bad drivers in the rain, just cause it rains wow. like so rarely. Mm. So yeah, it, anytime that it rains, there's always accidents. I mean, I guess that's kind of the case in a lot of places, but like it, it wow. is funny because, you know, people complain when it rains out here and, uh, obviously <laughs> the weather in other parts of the country, are much more severe so we uh are pretty spoiled i think
0: yeah I, i'll say spoiled rotten dare i say because <laughs> yeah. I, I as you're saying and i'm thinking to myself try living in boston for for a one entire yeah. winter and experience a blizzard would, would you like to still complain then because oh man yeah <laughs> look
1: i I had a tough transition because, as I said, I'm from L.A. I went to college up here in the Bay Area. And then my first TV job was in Billings, Montana. So a small, small market. But that was cold. That was my first experience with real winter because, yeah, we got plenty of snow there. And then I went to uh, Reno after that for a few years. Reno, Nevada, Mm -hmm. not quite as cold, but we definitely still got some snow. So I'm I'm not going to complain about the weather. I'm happy to be back here. Like, I love the snow. But I like the snow on my terms. I, I like course. to go skiing when I, <laughs> I don't want it. snow gets annoying, when it's in your everyday life and you have to deal with driving and all that.
0: When you mentioned that your first TV job was in Billings, Montana, tell me about the experience and what was life like in Montana?
1: Yeah, it, you know, it was a great experience. I, I was in Billings. I worked for the NBC station there uh, mm-hmm. for like two and a half years. Yeah. I was a sports anchor and reporter. uh, on, on the local news. And Mm. it was, I mean, it was an adjustment, obviously, like it's a small town, Um, we covered a lot of high school sports. We had a division two college there. And Mm -hmm. we also covered the, the division one colleges across the state, Montana and Montana state. Um, but like the people were great. Like I made some really good friends there. I really liked it. As I said, like the toughest part for me was probably the weather. Like those winters are long and it's not just the snow, but it's like the bitter cold. Like, yeah, I mean, when you're when you're down below zero some nights that that was rough wow. for me for an LA boy so wow. I, honestly if it weren't for that I, I probably could have stayed even longer but at a, after that I was like yeah I, I'm done with these long winters uh but it was it's like a it's a good sports town and good people and, and they're like really into uh as I said like local community sports like the, the those high school football games and really every sport got big crowds and like people wow. were into it and and they, were, they were a little under the radar had some good players there too
0: like what were some of the um good players that you recall um covering while you were in, um, in billings montana and what and tell me about like the atmosphere at these sporting events and in, in an otherwise uh small town in the upper rocky mountain region
1: yeah you know the, it's funny because when you're in a small town like that again every everybody knows everybody and like mm the same families tend to produce great yeah. athletes. So it's funny. Cause you're like, you're covering one. And then a couple of years later, their brother or sister comes along and they're a great athlete too. I remember like the Sulcer family there was really good. And um, <laughs> as I said, like the football games, it was cool how they did it because there were, there were like four main high schools in Billings, like the mm-hmm. four big high schools, but they shared field for their games like they had their own practice fields and and they could play home games if they wanted but the big game each friday night was at this main stadium kind of downtown Hmm. and they would get like you know upwards of like seven or eight thousand people at those games for some of the big games and i remember like they would have like the state basketball tournament there and like state wrestling tournament was huge. Mm. I didn't realize wrestling was so big in Montana. Like I knew in Iowa and other parts of the Midwest, Mm. but like those would get thousands of fans. Like, yeah, it was, it was a good sports atmosphere. It was a lot of fun.
0: When you talk about LA and you mentioned you're from LA um, born and raised, you're basically a Cali guy through and through. Yeah, and in that in that regard, you're spoiled in terms of the weather. I, I'll give you that. <laughs> what were some of your personal favorite um, sports heroes uh, and teams growing up in California?
1: Ah, uh, great question. So yeah, I, I grew up in L.A. Um, during basically during the night. 90s so I was a Laker fan as a kid Dodger Mm -hmm. fan it's it's funny because it's tough now living in the Bay Area like I take a lot of crap for for my (laughs) LA sports loyalties because they're all rivals yeah but yeah Dodgers and Lakers big hockey fan the LA Kings Uh, I grew up going to those games actually a lot and it was probably one of the greatest things as a sports fan for me was when they finally won the Stanley Cup In 2012 and then they won it again but like it that was something that was special because as a kid you know they the kings during my childhood were not very good i although we did have the wayne gretzky years i was pretty young for those but i remember i went to one of the finals games in 93 um but it was yeah seeing them win the cup in 2012 and 14 was amazing uh, and then seeing the Dodgers, you know, it's funny. I'm like not as big a Dodger fan as I was as a kid. Now I've spent uh, the last few years covering the Oakland A's up here. So like mm-hmm. a lot of my baseball, a lot of my baseball focus is on the A's, but it was still cool to see the Dodgers win the world series again. That's, that's a team I grew up watching. And that's a team that broke my heart <laughs> plenty as a kid. I, I remember all their, their playoff failures in the, in the nineties and early two thousands. So it, oh, I felt man. good seeing them finally yeah. get over the top. but yeah it's funny because the rivalry the LA San Francisco rivalry is very real I'm sure you're you know very aware of Boston New York I think LA San Francisco is pretty good too and living up here with my LA sports affiliations take a lot of crap (laughs) (laughs)
0: listen listen I'm from New York originally born and raised I, I moved to Boston Um, coming on it'll be four years in February so New York Boston is like for me, and I guess it's East Coast bias coming in a little bit. That's always going to be number one. But you being a West Coast guy, and a lot has been made about the L.A., San Francisco, but specifically Dodgers-Giants. What yeah. are some of your experiences having been, have been in the region experiencing Giants-Dodgers rivalry?
1: It's a great rivalry. Like, as you said, you know, New York-Boston special, Yankees-Red Sox. But I yeah. think in a different way. Like, I think they're different rivalries, but I think they're just as intense that, you know, Dodgers and giants. I mean, I think even more up here in Northern California, that the hatred is real. Like wow, people hate the Dodgers. I remember I went, when I was in college, I went to a, a Dodgers giants game with, with some friends and mm. I thought it'd be okay. I wore my Dodger hat. I thought it'd be okay. Cause I was in a big group of giants wow. fans and, <laughs> They were sort of shielding me and there's always a lot of Dodger fans, but man, I took a lot of, I took a lot of hate at that game. And I remember Mm. afterwards, some drunk, some drunk dude took my hat off my head and threw it onto the field. We were in the bleachers and I'm like, what the hell is this man? But (laughs) um, it's an, that's an intense rivalry for sure. I you know, bragging rights too, like the giants Mm. winning three world series in, uh, I get 2010 to 14, yeah, like they had bragging rights big time. And, you know, they always the thing with with the Dodgers is they hadn't won since 88. And that was, Mm -hmm. you know, there was really no comeback to that when Giants fans were saying, hey, 1988, you know do something do something recent and so uh finally the dodgers do win and now of course all the giants fans say that it's uh not legitimate because it was oh
0: a, a gosh
1: season. put the <laughs> asterisk on it but that's the debate will always go on oh for sure and and i i have
0: to ask i was as, as soon as you mentioned it i'm like darn ben you read my mind damn it damn it like <laughs> but i'm still gonna touch it because like being hardcore baseball fans that we are you you being the podcast host for the Believe podcast network covering the Oakland A's, being yep. a lifelong Yankee fan, but a lot, even bigger baseball fan. Do you think that the Los Angeles Dodgers will, will be able to defend that asterisk stigma that's attached or isn't attached to their championship in 2020, given that, let's face it, we're in the midst of a global pandemic that that's beyond our control?
1: Yeah, honestly, the, the way that I look at it is I, I don't think the Dodgers care. I think the Dodgers and their fans consider it legitimate. I think most baseball people consider it legitimate. I mean, it, look, it was a different season, but in a lot of ways, I think it was a tougher season than normal. Yes, You know, you, you had so the players had so much to deal with with the pandemic and then the shortened season, but not just that, like uh, a, an expanded playoffs mm-hmm. I think part of why it's legitimate, especially with the Dodgers winning is, you know, the Dodgers are not a fluke. Like they've been one of the best teams in baseball for several years now. They just haven't been able to get over the top. They've lost in the world series a couple of times. They had the best record again this year in the regular season. They defended it in the play. Like this is not a fluke team like this. That was probably the best team in baseball. And so I think for that reason, even though it was a different year, it was still just as tough as winning any other world series, maybe even more so. And I think it'll be interesting though, to see what the Dodgers do moving forward, because I, you know, I, I think they're still set up really well. Like they're still going to be a contender. Obviously it's tough to, to repeat in baseball or any sport, but I think the Dodgers certainly have as good a chance of winning as anybody. They, they have to be considered Mm -hmm. one of the favorites again. uh, And certainly you know, the young talent they have, the resources they have, they got plenty of money to spend. Um, so I think I mean, I think the Dodgers could very well win another World Series here in the next sure. couple of years.
0: For sure. And I think that the Dodgers, when you look at this, this team, for example, and I talked about this on my radio show uh, locally on, on WMFO and, and as well as WBRS. And I said, listen, the biggest thing that I look at the Dodgers is that were they becoming the modern-day version of the 1990s Atlanta Braves? And I asked this question in the midst of the World Series, although my take did not age well, but at that time, and this I asked it when they were down 3-1 to the Atlanta Braves in the NLCS because there was a legitimate thought at that time in my mind that had the Dodgers not won the World Series, that this team could very well be, the modern-day Atlanta Braves in the '90s. Now, for a younger audience that that don't remember, I vividly remember how good those Atlanta Braves scenes were in the '90s. You talk about the greatest trio of starting pitchers in a single pitcher rotation of all time with John Smoltz, Hall of Famer, Tom Glavin, Hall yeah. of Famer, Greg Maddox, Hall of Famer. In my humble opinion, yeah. Greg Maddox probably the best out of out of all three, and that's no slight against Lavin or Smoltz at all. But yeah. the, the but the number one thing that will forever look at those '90s Braves is that one World Series title in that entire decade why is that a bad right. thing because this was a team that got to the World Series five times in that decade in 91 92 95 obviously when they won it all but falling mm-hmm. but blowing a two0 series lead in 96 against the Yankees and getting swept in the 99 World Series if the Dodgers only only end up winning this World Series and they don't win another one over the next few years is it fair to say that the Dodgers would be looked at at the same line line as the Atlanta Braves of those of those of those teams yesteryear?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really fair comparison. And as you said, even even with the Dodgers winning this year, the Braves also won one World Series. And now, look, winning one World Series is infinitely better than winning zero. So we'll give them credit for that. And we'll give the Dodgers credit for that. But no, you're I think it's a totally fair comparison. Uh, When you look at the Dodgers, I think what if they won like eight straight division titles now they're in the Mm -hmm. playoffs every year. Mm -hmm. That's like what the Braves did. They had that long run of winning the NL East um, multiple world series. You know, I I think it's fair to say, like you said, the Braves certainly happy to win one world series, but when you look at the talent they had, they probably should have won more. And I think if the Dodgers end up with just one, I think that's a very fair comparison because when you look at these Dodgers teams over the past decade or, you know, even the last five years, yeah, they probably, this, this core should win multiple world series. So we'll see. I, I still think they will win another one, but it remains to be seen. And I think it is a fair comparison, you know, baseball is so interesting because obviously not this year, but in a normal year, mm-hmm. the regular season is so long yeah. and it's so tough. Uh, to make the playoffs that many years in a row just because compared to other leagues very few teams make it you know especially back in the 90s when the Braves were doing it you know you just had the one wild card and, and you have to win your division every year which they did so oh, yeah I, I think it's a good comparison and uh, I think I do think the Dodgers will win at least one more World Series with this group but if they don't I think uh, a lot of people will look back on it as mm. sort of a disappointment.
0: Absolutely, and I think that when you look at the roster for the Dodgers now, they finally get Mookie Betts, mm-hmm. and it seemed like that may have been the missing piece that they they were sorely missing in 2017, and especially yeah. in 2018 when the Red Sox, they were an absolute wagon of a team that entire season. Now, yeah. with that being said, there is one area of concern that I do have for the Dodgers moving forward, and that is... How will they be able to sustain the success moving forward? Because, like, listen, as as good as the Dodgers were the, in, throughout the entire 2020 shortened season, I look at this team and I say, okay, they had Walker Bueller, who who is becoming more and more of the ace of the pitching staff by by the by the year. Clayton yeah. Kershaw, surefire Hall of Famer, World Series win or not, he, I mean, he's got a ring now, but. He was already a Hall of right. Famer before winning the World Series. Finally, came a right. big. Finally, came up big this this past October. But long term over the next four to five years, there are going to be question marks in terms of can the Dodgers be able to maintain this level of success, which is going to transition into my next question. Justin Turner is getting older. He's widely considered to be the heart and soul of the Dodgers. But there is a superstar in that same division who is becoming increasingly likely to be traded and that is one Nolan Arenado of the Colorado Rockies do you think that there is a chance that the Dodgers could say you know what Arenado is the best third baseman in the major leagues there's no argument on that one but could we use him as an upgrade at third over Justin Turner do you think that's a possibility
1: Yeah, I do think that's a possibility. I mean, I I think there had been those rumors out there that the Dodgers were at least interested or or maybe in talks with Justin Turner uh, being a free agent. Yeah, boy, wouldn't that be amazing? Like you said, Nolan Arenado is just, uh, you know, both sides of the ball. Defense, Mm -hmm. he's the best third base. He and Matt Chapman, I got to give a shout out to Matt Chapman uh, with the A's, but I mean, in the National League, for sure, the best defensive third baseman an amazing hitter whether he's in Colorado or Or not not.
0: exactly yeah
1: yeah no I I do think that's a possibility and one of the things with the Dodgers you know pro extended success is always the toughest thing I think in sports just Mm -hmm. the way that it is now it's a business guys come and go but I think the Dodgers really have built themselves well you know one of the things I criticized the Dodgers for over the past several years when they didn't win the World Series was They were never, they never made that big move at the trade deadline. They were never willing to part with any of their young prospects to go and point and get, uh, you know, whoever it might be that, that missing ingredient to put you over the top. But the the way that it's worked out now, they're pretty well set up as far as young talent, because they've kept all of these young guys. You know, when you look at the pitchers, like they've got Dustin May, who's, Mm -hmm got incredible stuff. He, I think at some point he and Walker Bueller will create a really good tandem at the front of the rotation. Um, and same thing as far as the hitters go. Uh, I just think that they're deep enough where number one, they've got the pieces if they want to make a trade for a guy like Nolan Arenado Mm -hmm. and number two, even if they don't, they still have so much talent, young talent, uh, to sort of step in and replace a guy like Justin Turner if he were to leave or Clayton Kershaw as he continues to get older and, you know, his stuff is not quite as good as it once was. So there's no guarantee they'll win another World Series, but I think they're going to be in contention, at least for the next few years.
0: And I look at the Dodgers bullpen, for example, talk about one of the key strengths of the team, like Julio Urias. Yes, there's there's another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like another young, still young. We forget how young he is. Yeah. because he's been he's been with the Dodgers for a few years now, and yeah. and, and like this is this wasn't his first uh, run in the postseason. We also talk about um, Baez as well, and then the the veteran closer. Um, Kenley talk, Jansen, like, uh, Kenny Jansen. Thank you. And yeah. you you look at that entire bullpen and you say they have pieces that that could help sustain. The level of dominance because because they had a dominant staff in, in 2020 now i want to switch over and look at the american league side in 2021 yeah. there is a list of contenders in the american league you got the white Sox who who made the shocking hire of bringing on tony la Russa out of retirement right. and to bring him to to manage that that young quarter they have in chicago with the likes of the veteran jose abreu but then don't forget about uh, about about some of the other pieces that they have, and including yeah. um, Lucas Giolito. But the yeah. Oakland Ace, for some reason, I feel like is that team that's being slept on. But for some interesting reason, and I've and I've talked about this in the in the past few months, that they seem to have the pieces, but they can't get over the hump for some reason in October, and you saw it again in the division series against the Houston Astros. Why do you think the the Oakland A's has had that problem of getting past the first round in the last few seasons?
1: Man, that's the that's the million dollar question, right? I mean, yeah, the and it's not even just with this iteration of the team. That's sort of what the A's have become known for. You know, going back to the early two thousands. Yeah, since two thousand when they had. Was When they had all those talented pitchers, they had their own big three with Zito and Mulder and Hudson. Uh, And again, they were always regular season, you know, winning divisions, getting into the playoffs, and and then going out early in the postseason. I think with this current team, they're – it's tough because I think they took a big step this past year, at least getting out of the first round, beating the White Sox. Mm-hmm. I know that they were disappointed with how the series went against the Astros, but I think that was a good experience they got. Um, their problem, unfortunately, is poor ownership. You know they mm. they are constantly one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. I think it's going to be even worse this year. By all you know, they've got ten free agents on this year's team. And I think most, if not all of them will, will be leaving. And so, you know, when you look at Marcus Simeon, who's turned into a phenomenal shortstop, it sounds Absolutely. like he's gone. Their great closer, Liam Hendricks. He's gone. Um, now the A's do have young talent that they always seem to develop and, and bring up through the system. And they, they still have a lot of their core from last year returning uh, like Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, ramon laureano and a good young pitching staff Mm -hmm. i think so two different things number one i think their problem last year in the playoffs was starting pitching uh they just especially against the astros yeah they they couldn't get people out i mean they gave up i forget how many runs it was in those four games but it was like a record number of home runs a record number of runs uh and so I think the starting pitching will be better this year because they do have a lot of talented pitchers. They were just young and inexperienced. Mm-hmm. But my problem, I think the problem they're going to run into is they're getting worse this offseason, not better. They they were missing a couple of pieces. They should be trying to add mm-hmm. uh, to get over the top, and instead they're losing a few of their best players and. They're going to count on other guys to fill in. So I think that's going to make it tough for them. Now, I still think they're probably uh, a good, have a good chance to to win the AL West or at least make the playoffs this year. But I don't know if they have what it takes yet to get over the top and make it to the World Series.
0: Sean Mania is a guy who has become the ace of the staff. Is that a fair assessment to make? And what do you expect from him in 2021?
1: You know, it's interesting. I think Sean Maniah was heading in that direction. He got off to a really slow start last year, and then mm. he picked it up as the season went on. Uh, I would argue that Jesus Lizardo will become the ace of this staff sooner rather than later. Mm. Maybe, I, maybe my expectations for him last year were a little too high with him being a rookie and only 22 years old. Yeah. His stuff is electric, uh, and his mindset is great too he's mentally tough he's he's confident and he's also really determined so I think Jesus lazardo the young lefty is going to have a great year this year I think Manaya will have a really good year yeah. as well um the other the other guy that kind of stepped up last season which was a surprise was Chris bassett who maybe yeah. it wasn't a surprise great point to people really have been following the ace he had he had Mm -hmm. a pretty good year the year before but he took it to another level last year and you know he he came in to to spring training last season not even in the top five like starters i mean he was yeah he
0: he he was off the radar like yeah like because even because like just just to quickly interject because i was watching um 30 clubs in 30 days on mlb network he wasn't yeah. even talked about at all. Like the, the focus was okay, Matt Chapman, what can he do? in uh, another, another year in the league, continuing to solidify himself as being one of the elite yeah. third basemen in the game. Sean Mania, like his development and so forth. You know, talk about the A's bullpen, like Liam Hendricks. Like, what can, what yep. can A's fans expect? Chris Bassett wasn't even talked about at all. To your point. Yeah, he was off
1: he was off the radar. I mean, again, he was a guy who was probably, if they were healthy, he probably would have started the season in the bullpen. Um, and mm-hmm. he ends up moving into the number five starter role because AJ Puck, who's another really talented young guy, they have AJ Puck got hurt and ended up having to miss the season. Yeah. And so that gave Bassett the opening to get back into the starting rotation. And uh yeah, each year he's just gotten better and better. You know, he's not not going to blow you away like i think he he can throw mid 90s he's got a great curveball but he just knows how to pitch yeah. and also his mentality he's a fighter out there like he he's a guy who pitches angry and with a chip <laughs> on his shoulder yeah and he thinks he's he he just wills himself and I don't want to take away from his stuff because it's good too, but yeah. I just love his fierce mentality. But no, he's great. I think the other guy to watch for the A's is Frankie Montas because mm. that's a guy who we thought maybe was going to become the ace after his uh, 2019 season. Mm. He got off to a really hot start last year and then kind of sputtered. But again, his stuff is still terrific. He He's a guy who throws high 90s. Uh, and has a, a really nasty splitter, too. So it'll be interesting to see if he can sort of get back on track to what it looked like he was going to be. Mm. But you're right, Sean Mania's is not, I mean, I, this is – I think this is the best uh, starting rotation the A's have had since those early 2000s teams with Mulder, Hudson, Zito. This is the first time they've really had good starting pitching. Even in these last few years, they've had to rely on their offense and their bullpen. Yeah. Now they finally have the starting pitching, I think, that can – maybe that's what can take them to the next step.
0: For sure. For those that may not know, can you please tell baseball fans just how good of a manager Bob Melvin is of the Oakland Athletics? Because I feel like there's a part of me that believes that Bob Melvin doesn't get the credit that he deserves because, I mean, I know the A's, they won 97 games um, in 2018. 2019 to get back to the wild card game, although they lost to to, to the Tampa Bay Rays, but right. and also they got back to the postseason again in 2020. But for those right. that don't know, just how good of a manager is Bob Melvin in 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 a run that he's had in Oakland?
1: I think he does a great job relating to the players. He's, you know, because. Uh, I think one of the trends in baseball we're seeing is younger managers mm-hmm. uh, and even guys, maybe not with managing experience, getting shots. Bob Melvin is not old, but he's certainly not young, but he relates. He he manages like he's a young manager. He relates to the players. He, the players love him. Uh, he allows them to be themselves. He allows them to show their personality. It's a loose clubhouse. Okay. I think that's one of the things he does really well. And so they, they're always relaxed, you know, they, they play loose. And I think that really serves them well. Um, And then as far as, yeah, as far as the actual managing of games, you know, I think he's taken some criticism at times for the way that he uses his bullpen, but I think overall, he's gotten a pretty good feel for that. Um, And I think, you know, he does a really good job mixing and matching his lineups as well. Uh, so you're right. I think he kind of flies under the radar, but he's the perfect manager for this team. And again, the players all love him and they, they play hard for him. It's not like it's too loose and that, you know, they still respect him and they go out there and they work hard. Um, but I mean, he's one, the thing is he's won three manager of the year awards, two with the A's one with the diamondbacks.
0: Yeah.
1: He's, he really is uh i think underrated even among a's fans sometimes you know who kind of take it for granted um he i think he's a a big part of why they've yeah of why they've made the playoffs the last three years
0: and there's just something that i i gotta ask you in terms of the ALS specifically because the ALS in in 2021 i think is a division that's going to be really interesting to to watch. I still think even though that the A's may be losing some key parts of their team in 2021, that they still can contend for the division. However, you still got the angels. You still got the Mariners and you still got the Texas Rangers. What is your outlook for the Oakland A's in 2021 in terms of contending for the division? And who would you think would be the best? And I also, I can't forget the Houston Astros as well. Also, who would you think will be the best team to challenge the Oakland A's in the West? Do you think it's Houston, or if not, who who do you think it is?
1: Yeah, that's a good question because Houston's got some free agents of their own that yeah. they might lose, and and they, you know their pitching staff is cert- is certainly not quite what it's been in previous years. I'd st- I would still say Houston though is the toughest challenge. I think, you know, the Angels are always that wild card team, like their yeah. lineup is so stacked, but they just never have pitching. And I don't know if they've, we'll see what they do to address that this offseason. but really for the last, you know, ever since Mike Trout has joined that team, yeah, they've had offense. They just haven't had the pitching. And mm-hmm. so they always end up winning, you know, mid seventies to mid eighties games. You know, they're, they're always like the third place team in that division. They made the playoffs once and mm-hmm. and didn't do anything. So I think they, you know, they certainly have the talent, but I don't think they're until they improve their pitching. I I don't see them uh, as a real threat to win the division. The Mariners are going to be fun to watch. They're so talented. They're still so young. I think maybe they're another year away, but I think we're going to see major strides from them this year. I think we already did last season. Yeah, Uh, I think they're going to continue to make strides this year and that they could certainly challenge the top teams, but I would say they're still a year away. Uh, Texas, I don't see Texas contending. So to me, it's, yeah, to me, it's the Astros and the A's and that's sort of been the battle the last few years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I could, honestly, I could see either one of those teams winning winning the division. Um, especially if they do both lose some of their key free agents, but they all, you know, I've talked about the A's young talent. The Astros have plenty of young talent too, and and that goes for their pitching. Framber Valdez it was fantastic mm-hmm. uh, in the postseason without yeah. much experience. He's going to be even better. Um, and who am I? Who am I missing? Who's the? Who's their other young pitcher? Uh, Christian Javier, yeah. Yeah. who who pitched out of the bullpen a lot in the postseason, but he was out, He was
0: outstanding in the series against so Tampa Bay. Good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He was so good, really the whole playoffs. And so, yeah, I, I think Houston and, you know, Dusty Baker is a great manager, obviously. And, you know, Dusty, I love Dusty. I think people in the Bay area all love Dusty from his time with the giants, just a a great dude and uh, a guy who knows baseball really well. So yeah, if I had to, if I had to handicap it, I would personally make the A's a slight favorite to win that division with the Astros right behind them. And then the angels and Mariners, a step below that but you know i've been wrong before the mariners have talent we'll see yeah. if they can do it the angels have talent can they get at the pitching it's going to be a fun division to watch
0: oh for sure and then to add this question and i think it's an interesting one because i feel like people may have forgotten does the injury to justin verlander impact the division race in 2021
1: see that's a, that's a great point and i, I think it does I, not just the injury but I think finally his age his is age yeah. up with him for a while. It seemed like he was just getting better with age and we kept waiting for it to sort of fall off. And he was yeah. turning 36 and then 37 and he was still just getting better and better. I think finally, what is he like 38 now? And yeah. again, coming off that, coming off that injury, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, I think we were already starting to see signs of him taking a step back. He don't get me wrong. I, I think he can still be good, but I just don't think he can be the, the Justin Verlander we've all grown accustomed to. And I think that will hurt uh, the Astros obviously losing Garrett Cole, a couple of off seasons ago hurts the hurts the staff. Zach Greinke kind of was had a, had his struggles last year too. Yeah. Um, but then, then again, as I said, they've got those young pitchers who have kind of stepped in. So We'll see if they can, I I even left out Lance McCullers, who's, you know, he's young, he's more experienced, but he's still young and he's got really good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I I still think they're going to be a really good team, but I think you're right without Verlander at his full strength, they're not quite as feared as maybe they once were.
0: Now, when you talk about, the Oakland A's. Because uh, I want to, I want to transition to an, an, another point, a topic because I feel like this is, this is one of the more fascinating ones in this podcast so far, and what's already been a fascinating discussion of baseball. You've had the opportunity, and you were fortunate to to have covered the A's for NBC Sports Bay Area for the last for the past two seasons. Yeah, what were some of the behind the scenes experiences or memories of? being in the clubhouse and having the opportunity to, to interview the players and as well as the manager. Tell me about those experiences.
1: I mean, for, from my standpoint, it was, it was a great experience. Um, first of all, I think you got that behind-the-scenes look provided um, some great insight into why the A's were so good. It's not just the talent on the field, but mm. they really – are a loose clubhouse and they get along really well too. Uh, you, I mean, I think chemistry can be a little bit overused and cliche, but in their case, it was really a big part, I think, of their success. They all legitimately liked each other. They liked being around each other. They, they mm-hmm. were goofing off in the clubhouse that, you know, they had the little Nerf, or the little mini basketball net that they're all dunking on and jumping off tables <laughs> and, and messing around. And, yeah. um, but yeah, they were all good guys. That's the thing, like really no big egos. Like sometimes you'll see in baseball, a lot mm. of the best players have egos and kind of have an attitude. There was none of that with the A's. And I think that was one of the, that made it a really pleasurable experience, I think, for me as a reporter, uh, being in there. They mm-hmm. were all great guys, always willing to do interviews, uh, which I really appreciated. I got to know some of them, and and again, they really enjoyed each other and playing with each other and legitimately pulling for each other. Um, and again, I think part of that it goes back to Bob Melvin, and he deserves credit for creating that that sure. type of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Bob Melvin himself was a great guy, great to deal with with the media you know he he was always willing to do interviews and and always um i, I don't want to say always in a good mood but you know <laughs> never never a jerk you know yeah. there there's a lot of jerks out there in professional sports and he he was not that even even after a tough loss he was always fair um so yeah it was a great experience they, they were a fun team to cover and maybe that's also why it's so hard to see them let go of uh, a couple of those key pieces in Marcus Sidney and (laughs) then Hendricks. Yeah.
0: And growing up in, in, in in LA and this may be a silly question, but I want to ask anyway, given that you are a freelance play-by-play broadcaster as well. Yep. Who is your favorite play-by-play broadcasting in any sport growing up in LA?
1: That's, that's a great question. And, Speaking of being spoiled in L.A., as a sports fan, I felt spoiled because we had 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 three legends
0: legends Legends. in L.A. alone, which is like, come on. You had Vince Scully, you had Chuck Kearns, the late Chuck Kearns, the legendary voice of the Lakers, and as well as the great Bob Miller, who retired, the longtime voice of the Kings.
1: And I loved all three of them. As I said, I was a big hockey fan growing up, so I got to meet Bob Miller when I was a kid, and and I remember that was a thrill for me. Yeah, I mean as a kid, I was just as into the broadcasters as I was the players. I guess that, I guess I always kind of wanted to have a career in, in sports broadcasting, but yeah, yeah, Bob Miller was fantastic. Chick Hearn, the, the legend for the Lakers, he was so great. And then Vince Scully, who many people consider, uh, you know, the best baseball announcer ever. And uh, he was listening to him, announce Dodger games definitely reminds me of my childhood as well. So I don't think I could, pick one of them. I think it was a three way tie for me. Oh, uh, man. all three were so great. And I think all three of them being a fan of all three of them, I, as I said, I think that honestly had a big impact on, on my decision to go into sports broadcasting. I just, I loved what they did and, uh, yeah, they all inspired me.
0: Now, how would you best categorize your style of broadcasting? Cause Broadcasting is an art and is a style. Everybody has their own style in their way of, you know, painting the picture, so to speak, or, or, or you know, or using the canvas, if you will. How would you yeah. best categorize your style?
1: You know, I I never really think about it. The way that I approach it is, I'd say my my main style is probably energy and having fun. I, I always try and have fun on my broadcasts. It's sports. It's supposed to be fun. I try and keep the energy up for the whole game. Um, and then from there, you know, I, I never want to make it about me. You know, I want it to be about the game and about the players. Um, and I just try and match the energy and the excitement of the game. Mm. And so, Obviously, the you know the first key for broadcasting is describing what's happening and and the the just the who, what, why, when, and where. But then the other thing for me is is matching the enthusiasm and the energy, and again remembering to have fun because it's sports. And I feel like as a broadcaster, if I'm having fun, the the viewer or the listener is going to be having fun. So that's sort of how I look at it.
0: Now, if for someone who may be looking for advice or ways to break into the industry, whether if they whether if it's a freelance uh, reporter or a freelance people play, whatever the case may be, what would be the number one piece of advice that you would give them as to like how to break into the industry?
1: Yeah, it's a great question um, because it's tough, but uh, I will say it's it's probably gotten easier because there's more avenues you can take now with all these games there's so many games now online like digital streams and there's just more types of jobs than there used to be i'd say my number one piece of advice is be open to anything you know any opportunity even if it's not exactly what you want it can help you you know no matter what you want to do in sports broadcasting or journalism try you know any open door Give it a shot. Now, it might not be for you, but you can still make connections. You can still get good experience. I think versatility is key. The more mm. you can do, the more valuable you are. Play-by-play, reporting, writing, all of that stuff I think is important because a lot of jobs combine all three. A lot of a lot of play-by-play broadcasters for college teams or minor league teams have to also be the PR guy and, and write the game recaps and write the game notes. So if you can write... That's key too, but yeah, I think the biggest thing is to just be open to anything and to be really put yourself out there and, and be proactive and uh, to to just take go for any opportunity you can find.
0: When you first started, what were some of the lessons that you learned along the way that has helped you grow into the into the journalist and broadcaster that you are today?
1: Oh boy, that's a good one too. I think one of the things that I had to learn was to be patient. Mm. Patience is a virtue in in this industry because it's tough, it's competitive. Yeah. I've been rejected a lot. You get 10 rejections, maybe 100 rejections for every one opportunity that you're going to get. Yeah, um, But you just have to, number one, be patient. Number two, remain confident in yourself and keep working hard. And so, yeah, that was huge. Um, And to not compare yourself to where other people are in their career. Cause that's Mm -hmm. another thing that I used that can get frustrating. If you look at, at other broadcasters who might be younger than you or more successful, everyone has their own path. And once, once you can start, just appreciating other broadcasters and being happy for their success and know that that doesn't take away from yours. I think that's a, that's a big thing uh, that will help you in your own career. The other big thing that I learned is how important it is to make good connections and make good friendships and relationships. This industry, as much as any other, the old Absolutely. adage is who you know, not what you know. A lot of the time that is very true. And so, yeah, if you, you know, that was something I I wasn't great at just because I'm kind of shy a lot of it by nature. I'm kind of shy and don't love to reach out to strangers and Mm. maintain these relationships, but it's so important um, to, again, yeah, the more people you get to know and, and keep in touch with, the better your chances are if there's ever an opening somewhere
0: and and i think that in itself is an absolute nugget of gold when especially in 2020 where so much has changed in both the world and as well as how we may conduct business and so forth
1: yeah
0: how vital has it been for you to utilize the digital space to to sharpen your skills and as well as how has it impacted your ability to to cover the a's and to, and, and to continue to um, to do reports on um, covering the A's for NBC Sports Boston and as well for your podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, the digital space is huge, obviously. Um, I, it just creates more opportunities to make those connections, to get information, you know, social media. It's I think for a lot of people it's a love hate relationship. I know it is for me. Mm. Twitter <laughs> can be a ter- a terrible oh, place. Oh but yeah, <laughs> it could, but it could also be a useful place. You know, again, mm. like especially for my podcast, like reaching out to people on social media, like players or coaches or or fellow journalists, that can really help find me guests for my podcast or get nuggets of information or just it's a good way to meet people. For sure, uh, and then. You know, in the broadcasting realm, as I said, there's just more opportunities, more job opportunities because of the internet. There's digital broadcasts. There's websites you can write for it. You don't have to necessarily work like for one of the old school media, like, you know, whether it's a TV or a radio station. But, you know, there's all... Bleacher Report is one of the big ones. Barstool is obviously Mm -hmm. a huge one. Like, there's so many different types of sports journalism out there that didn't exist before. Yeah. So really... Being well versed, I think, in digital media and social media and being active. I think that's, I think it, it has helped me a lot in terms of those relationships and also information, getting information um, about the A's and just about sports in general. And
0: one of the things that I've come to learn, especially very early on, is when when this pandemic first hit. Mm-hmm like the way that reporters were, who were covering sports and teams, whether it be for, uh, for local media outlets or even for newspapers, it was going to change dramatically. What is one way in which that this pandemic has challenged you in terms of your ability to cover the team or, or any team for the fact of the matter. And also how has it helped you grow as a journalist?
1: Yeah, it's definitely been challenging. I mean, just as far as getting access to, to players and to coaches, it's a lot tougher. It it was an adjustment for sure, because normally you get to be at at a lot of the games and practices and get to do these interviews in person. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in baseball, they, they would give the media so much access. I mean, again, you're allowed in the clubhouse. You're allowed to get one-on-ones with guys if they're up for it. Um, So that was tough, but it was a good learning experience of again, doing, you know, utilizing social media, utilizing digital media, zoom, like we're doing um, for this interview, Mm -hmm. getting those interviews that way. I think that's something that I will use even after the pandemic ends, just knowing there's more ways you can get access to someone from afar Mm -hmm. than even in, I mean, it's always nice in person and being able to attend the games, but there are ways when you can't do that too. And I think it's also shown you can, there's you can find jobs out there or do freelance work remotely, which is a lot of what I've been doing during the pandemic, but you can, You know, so much of so many interviews and so many press conferences are available on teams' websites or social media. Mm-hmm. You can utilize that to work, even if you don't have access or a credential or don't even live in the city, you can still cover a team or do a story on a team wow. by using, yeah, by using that, by mm. using social media and digital media. And yeah, it, it is a, a great tool that kind of, creates more opportunities I think
0: almost um, certainly and you know I think one blessing for me for when it came, when it came to this pandemic is that um it's really forced me to to really get heavily involved with with like with podcasting and like I've been doing radio shows from home since March yeah. and and like one of the things that I didn't realize was that goodness man I I really miss the little things that i i otherwise didn't think about before like the like the ambiance of going into the radio station and for you yeah. going being at the ballpark i mean and even for me yeah. like being at the ballpark as a fan just to just to enjoy like what are some things that you have absolutely missed terribly uh here in 2020 since the start of the pandemic that you look forward to that hopefully it can and will return in 2021
1: yeah, man, I'm with you. I, I miss the crowds, you know, even watching on TV. I miss, I miss the crowds. Like it, yeah. it makes the crowd makes sports so much better. It just increases the energy. So, yeah, I, obviously I miss going to games with, you know, as media or as a fan. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't wait till we have crowds again. I, I think it just raises the intensity and the energy of any sporting event. So that's one thing. And then just on a day-to-day level, I just miss being able to, to see people, you know? Yes. <laughs> going to, to restaurants and bars and movies and just going out and yeah, all of those things, like you said, I think I I had taken for granted. And maybe that is the one like silver lining or blessing in disguise is like that. We will appreciate those little things now. We won't take them for granted anymore. when no, If no. and when we can uh, hopefully get a little bit back to normal
0: Mm -hmm. and the one thing i'll I'll ask you is that i want to go back to nevada for you Mm because you mentioned that you you were that you were also a sports reporter for the abc affiliate in reno nevada and and with that tell me about the market in in reno or, or in the vegas metro region and how much how much of a success do you think pro sports can have in Nevada, now that Las Vegas has, has two pro sports, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Vegas um, Raiders, as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think Vegas has had a ton of success already. With the Golden Knights, have yeah. done better on the ice and off the ice than I expected, and then I think a lot of people expected. I think when we heard that a the Vegas was getting a professional hockey team, I, mm. it it Seemed questionable to a lot of people that I know, anyway. And <laughs> but maybe it shouldn't have been with all, with all the teams that there are that have done well in the South. Obviously, people used to feel that way about the LA Kings, but mm. now there's teams in you know in Dallas and in Carolina and Tampa in the, in the Panthers. Uh, but yeah. no, I, I think the Vegas. I think the Vegas team has done phenomenal as far as attendance and and building a fan base. I think the Raiders will do really well there when uh, the pandemic is over. I mean. Look, living in the Bay Area, I think it, it sucks what happened to Oakland, and I'm bummed they left, but I, yeah. I do think they'll do well in Vegas. Uh, Reno, working in Reno, and that was a lot of fun. I mean, Reno is a totally different market, and uh, it's actually it's so far away from Vegas. I mean, I, I certainly made plenty of trips to Vegas to cover tournaments and games, but Reno itself is uh, an interesting market um, because they've got the University of Nevada Wolfpack, Wow. Uh, who they, you know, they've been a pretty good college program over the years from uh, they had Colin Kaepernick in uh, mm-hmm. when was that? Maybe like the late 2000s, early 2010s, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, he built, I mean, th- their, their program was already good in football, but he kind of took them to another level. And yeah. then their basketball program was really good just after I left. Actually. Wow. I mean, they've been good in the past, but then Eric Musselman came and, took them to the sweet 16. So they've got a pretty good athletic program there. Um, And again, they, they also turn out some good athletes locally at -hmm. at the high school level. Uh, They got minor league baseball, triple a baseball. It's a pretty good little fan base. Uh, And then you've also got the winter sports that they're great at because there's a lot of people hockey, but also like skiing, snowboarding with Tahoe Mm -hmm. right there. They, they have a lot of Olympians that come out of that Tahoe, Reno wow. area. And so that was kind of fun to watch. Um, but no, as far as pro sports in the state, I think I think they'll do great. I think they already have done great. And people forget like, you know, Vegas obviously is, is a big tourist place. A lot of people go to Vegas on vacation, but <laughs> it's a big market. Like, I think they, the Vegas metropolitan area has a lot of people that live there um clark county and you know even compared to teams in cities that already have pro sports teams vegas is even bigger you know when you think (laughs) of like green bay and like oh yeah who else i think it's bigger than new orleans um so i i think that it has done well there and it will continue to do well there tell me about back in march
0: you are living you are living your life as usual as i'm sure everyone else was at the time yeah and then the day of march 11th comes around what do you remember most about that day because i feel like there's maybe two or three days that we're going to remember most about 2020 that being one of them, what are your memories or your recollections of that day?
1: That was the day that uh, Rudy Gobert tested positive, right? And they canceled Correct. that Utah And, game. and that uh, changed everything. Yeah. I remember I was actually announcing a college baseball game that day uh, at St. Mary's College wow. in California. It was St. Mary's against Nevada. Yeah, that ended up being the last sporting event I got to attend for a while, obviously, with everything getting shut down. But mm. I remember how quickly it yeah it, it all it went from the jazz game getting canceled to then i think the sacramento kings had a game later that night that ended up getting canceled and then the whole nba mm. season got shut down and i think that was the same day that tom hanks tested positive i remember that yeah in australia mm-hmm. and so you're right that was i i joke with friends i, I can't wait to watch the uh, espn Thirty
0: for thirty, 30. <laughs> on that day. <laughs> the day that oh, changed. Oh gosh! <laughs> Especially once once everything is open back opens back up and we're all back to normal. And then yeah. oh, by the way, here's a must see documentary. Twenty twenty. Yeah. 2020. ESPN's ESPN study for thirty. What if I told you that on March 11th, <laughs> the world that we knew changed forever.
1: Everything changed. Everything changed. <laughs> like- <laughs> no, hundred percent. But yeah, I I remember, I I had remembered up until that point thinking that coronavirus would affect us a little bit. I remember reading some articles in February and January that mm-hmm. were like, "It'll, it will have an impact on our daily life. Certain things might like get." moved around i don't know i i just remember thinking like okay this thing might have some sort of impact there might be some minor inconveniences mm. that was the day that i realized holy crap like now this is this everything is everything is about to change yeah mm-hmm. like sports are shutting down then i started worrying about my job i'm like what, what does this mean for me am i gonna be able to work like that's when it became real and uh, obviously here we are what like nine months later yeah and- nine months yeah feels like longer i guess it does it you, you're like, not you're not weird. wrong
0: ben at all you're not like it feels nine this nine months have felt like a lot longer and here we are yeah. we're 13 days away from from like new year's eve and yeah i mean man l- l- listen i for me that day will forever in my mind be the day that 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 changed everything because that evening i remember this so so clearly um i had accepted a, a voluntary shift at, at work because uh, i also for those i don't know i also work at the garden as part of the the bull gang and apart from oh, nice. my, my apart from my career from from radio that's just a little extra you know make a little extra little extra change on the side or whatever
1: yeah yeah of course. and
0: I said, you know, I'll, I'll work it overnight. Eh, I got I've got no I've got time to kill. I don't care, whatever. So I, I'm oh man. What I didn't know was that I was on the I was on the T, which is the, 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 the Boston's transit system for those um who may be listening on the West Coast that don't know. I'm on the T and I'm on, and I'm FaceTiming with someone and I remember I remember vividly seeing the ESPN update. Rudy Go Bear has says a positive for COVID. NBA has suspended its season indefinitely. I'm just like, I'm sorry, what?
1: Yeah, come again. Wait,
0: I remember I was like, hold on, I gotta read this. She's like, what's wrong? And I told her, I'm like, the NBA just suspended its season indefinitely. Rudy Go Bear says a positive. She was like, Are you? I'm like, no, go go look at your phone. And I remember and I went on Twitter, like literally short short time after. And when I tell you that that news, it really spread like wildfire. It spread like wildfire. And then when I got to the garden, I'll never forget this. Like I get to the garden floor, and I and at this point I'm like in a state of just absolute shock. And I'm like, guys, did you not hear the news? They're like, no, because a lot maybe 85 percent of them had no idea. They were like, yeah, the dude Rudy Gobert just tested positive for uh, for coronavirus, and. The NBA has just suspended its season indefinitely. Wait, what? No, I'm, I'm, I would, I wouldn't dare joke about this. They were like, yeah. "Oh my God, it's just the flu." I was like, "Oh, okay." So a few days later, and this was the part that was the most, the, the most damning, if you will. It was the last time I was at the Garden for. Uh, I mean, at this point, the world had begun to really shut down as we know it. Um and it was ice removal day at the garden. They were removing the, 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 the Bruins ice. There is the NHL has suspended its season indefinitely as well. Up by that yeah. point. And yeah. it was one of the most somber moments and days that I that I always remember and thinking to myself, wow. So no sports. Like, and, and I remember people were upset. They were like what are we gonna do? There's no sports to watch. I, what am I gonna oh, do man. with my time? I'm like, <laughs> pick up a book, read, <laughs> yeah. watch, watch some Netflix, find something to do. You're not the only yeah. one. Shut up already. But it, but I, I look back and I, I we laugh about it now because obviously sports being back and all. But but I remember at that time. Yeah. How like how are we going to fill in fill up that time? And how did you fill up that time with there was absolutely no sports to watch, no sports to, to cover, like just nothing?
1: It was tough. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember thinking the same thing. Like, what am I going to do? There's nothing to do. Yeah, and and like it wasn't. I remember being bummed because it was like it wasn't like we could travel or you know mm-hmm. do anything like that. I mean, we are basically stuck at home. Uh, I did, I ended up doing like a lot of hiking, um, cause they, you know, they still allowed like outdoor exercise. Oh, so great. I kind yeah. of actually took that time to explore a lot of the outdoor Bay area sites that I hadn't seen beaches, wow. hikes, all that sort of thing. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was actually pretty fun and I enjoyed kind of at least getting a little break from everything, but yeah, I did a lot of that, uh, Definitely watched some Netflix shows, mm-hmm. um, took up golf. Although that was a little bit after that was a little <laughs> bit afterwards because all the golf courses were closed at first and then they reopened like a couple months later. Sure. Um, yeah, I was definitely very happy when sports came back. Let's mm. say that, that <laughs> I, I'm glad to have sports back for sure. I, that was something else that's like, man, just took for granted that there was always sports <laughs> on.
0: Oh gosh, you 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 got to tell me because um I'm curious about the Bay Area. And funny enough, true story, I um actually was interviewed for a full-time gig with 957 the game just a oh, couple nice. months ago. Nice. Yeah, yeah, although I I fell just short of making the final cut. Yeah. Um, but the experience was absolutely tremendous. And and had I gotten a job, I would I would have made the move out to, to the Bay Area. Wow. So I gotta ask you, listen, being the big food man that I am, and I listen, I am <laughs> a foodie. What's yeah. the food scene like in San Francisco or in the Bay Area in general? Is there a certain staple that the Bay Area region is known for food-wise?
1: I'll tell you what, it's really it. You can find anything here that's one of the great things about the bay area is the food mm. actually like we've got a big time range uh great mexican food Ooh. la's got that too but great mm. mexican food um great chinese food great sushi if you like that mm. uh, like thai i love like uh korean barbecue oh, got that, that in, so, that in so the good. east bay and San Francisco. <laughs> yeah and then obviously San Francisco is known for really good Italian food too on Columbus oh, up yeah. in North Beach Columbus Street. Um, yeah, honestly, it's like a wide range of excellent food. That's one of the things I, I missed when I when I moved to smaller places because you know I went to college at Cal mm. in the Bay Area and I definitely I missed the I missed a lot of the food so I, that's one of the things I love about the Bay Area Good. Okay. Good food and wow. yeah, good variety.
0: Uh, that that is awesome. What's the, the transportation transportation like in the Bay Area?
1: Transportation is uh, interesting because you know the traffic is obviously pretty bad. Is it LA Although bad? It's, it's not LA. Definitely uh, not LA bad. Gotcha. So that, that's the good. News. I was going to say LA is far worse. If you know what times to drive or which routes to take, mm. it's not terrible up here. Yeah. It's not even close to LA. So that's good. And then there's also much better public transportation, you know, Bart. I, I always take Bart. It kind of gets a bad rap just because it, you know, Bart can be kind of a little bit shady and a little bit gross Mm. (laughs) sometimes, but uh, (laughs) I don't, I don't mind it. Like I take Bart and uh, but yeah, I, I drive actually, I drive here too. And as I said, like if you go at the right times or take the right uh, routes, places, it's not nearly as bad as LA, so that's a win.
0: Wow, that 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 is. Now, there's a lot has been made about the T here, and you you have your experience with the Bart. I have my experience with the MBT transit system here yeah. in Boston, and I, yeah. I like asking those questions because it's like, what's life like on the outside, if you will? Like, if you're not in it, you don't really have that experience. Versus if you are. Living there, you know what it's like on an everyday basis. Now, what are some of the perks of living in the Bay Area in terms of time zone difference when it comes to sports?
1: Oh, you know, I, I've always argued that the Pacific time zone is great for sports. Mm. Um, I, think, I think it's perfect just because, I mean, number one, sports will start earlier here. Like, we don't have to wait all night for that seven o'clock start on the East coast. That'll start at four o'clock here, which is Mm. nice to get a little late afternoon sports. But then Mm. even like during the day, like, you know, some people think the NFL is a little early here because the early game is at 10 AM, but I like that you wake up to football already on. And then, (laughs) and then of course the other thing is they don't go as late. Like I remember whenever I'm on the East coast and I want to watch one of the LA teams or a Bay area team, Mm-hmm. Those games don't start till 10 or 10 30 at night here, obviously seven or seven 30. So I just, l- I like the, the range better. Like you have sports in the morning and you have sports until probably about 11 o'clock at night, but not, you know, you don't have to stay up till like two in the morning to watch some of the games.
0: Yeah. Which is, which is, I think why that it plays so heavily into the East coast bias, because not many people on the East Coast is willing to stay up that late, but it's like, well, I got to go to work the next day, or I got this to the right. next day. So it's like they right. don't really know, like, just, just how good, like, some of, like, the, the teams are out West, which which leads me to the next question. What do you think the Warriors will do now that Clay Thompson is out for the season, unfortunately, with another yeah. season-ending injury, and Steph Curry – being the lone guy to basically carry the team moving forward, not to not to completely slight the, um, Draymond Green or, or anything like that. But what do you think the Warriors are going to do for, the, for this upcoming NBA season? That's going to be 72 games.
1: Yeah, you know, I actually wrote a piece on the Warriors recently in the uh, San Francisco Examiner oh, kind of about that. Like, what are they going to do without Klay Thompson? And, you know, I still think they're going to be a threat I think a lot of people are, are sort of writing them off. And, and I understand that like Clay Thompson is a great player. And, you know, when you pair him with Steph Curry, they make the best shooting backcourt ever. Yeah. Um, but I still think they can be a threat in the West. As you mentioned, Steph Curry. Now the key is, will, will Steph Curry be able to stay healthy this year? Because if he goes down, I think, I think the Warriors go down, but if he, if he can stay healthy, mm. I think having him is huge. You mentioned Draymond Green. They added Kelly Oubre uh, from Phoenix, who's a nice piece, and then they also have Andrew Wiggins, who, you know, he he's never quite lived up to what his potential has been, but he's still pretty young, and I could see him taking a big step forward this year at the two yeah. guard or the or the three position.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think he's an interesting piece that they that they have to go with with Steph, and then I really like their draft pick getting. Uh, James Wiseman, number two overall out of Memphis, Mm. the big man. Yeah, he is. I think he's going to be really good. Like now he still has he's a little bit raw because he was only able to play, I think, three games in college. Yeah. And then he had a long layoff, but they love him. And he's again, he's tall. He's long, huge wingspan. um, He's athletic. He's got good footwork for a big man. I think he's going to do really well as a rookie. And I also think the Warriors are deeper than, than a lot of people realize. I mean, last year was such a disaster with the injuries. Maybe the one silver lining, though, was a lot of their other guys had to step up and play. Uh, guys like Eric Pascal, who, who had a really good rookie year last year mm-hmm. out of Villanova. I think he's going to be good. Um, you know, a couple of their guards as well. Uh, Well, big men, you know, Kevon Looney is a solid big man, as is Marquise Chris. Mm -hmm. Um, But they also have some decent decent guards who can come, who can kind of fill in. And, you know, they made a couple of good, like, veteran acquisitions too. I think Kent Bazemore will help them score off the bench. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, I like Nico Mannion, their second-round draft pick out of Arizona. But, yeah, I mean – I don't know. I think they're going to be good. I, I don't think they'll win the West. Obviously I think the Lakers and Clippers are, are a step above, but I think the Warriors are right on their tail and, you know, mm. we'll see. I will, we're going to find out how good Steph Curry is this year when he kind of has to do it without his, uh, without his fellow splash brother. Yeah.
0: And I think that you look at the West and you mentioned the Lakers and the Clippers. The Lakers being the defending NBA um, champions. Now, the the Warriors are the team that's looked at, and it, as you mentioned, a lot of people have written them off because Klay Thompson he's, he's done. That's half of the Splash Brothers. Uh, they're not. That's that's only going to be playing. That's only Steph Curry. But I look at the West and I say, my God, the West is really deep. You got Phoenix yeah. and the continual rise of Devin Booker, who's going to, is only going to get better. Um, and as well as, don't forget, they also um, acquired uh, Chris Paul as well. That's right. going to that's going to only help them exponentially. Um, and, but then the, the Clippers, the Clippers, I, I know the talent is there, but but my goodness, that collapse that they that they suffered in the second round <laughs> against Denver, and yeah. I, I I still have my questions. And they ha- and they made a coaching change uh, during during the, the offseason as well. Denver with with Jamal Murray and and, and Nikola Jokic, like where does the Warriors fit in the West in terms of the playoff picture? Do you see them as a playoff team? And if so, what seed do you see them being in the West?
1: You're right. The West is deep. And uh, I do think the Warriors will make the playoffs. If I had to, if I had to guess where they'll finish, I'm thinking like the four or five seed. Wow. Um, but I, yeah, I think, I think they're going to be better than a lot of people think. Yeah. Um, I think between Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and and some of the additions they've made. And I think Steve Kerr sometimes gets underestimated, um, underrated as, as a coach. Yeah, I think he does a nice job with his pieces. So, yeah, I think they'll be around that four or five seed. And, um, you know, I think if they do end up matching up with the Lakers or Clippers at some point in the playoffs – Obviously, they'd be underdogs, but that would not be an easy series. Yeah. When you've got Steph Curry and some of the talent that they have around him, I could see them putting a scare into some of those top teams. So, I, I think I, as I said, I, I I rate the Warriors higher than a lot of people do. I, I think they're still going to be a threat in the West.
0: Now I want to switch back to baseball because there's another team in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Giants, that I feel like a lot of people may not have been paying attention, especially on the East Coast, as to the Giants, as to why there is seemingly a growing sense of optimism with this with this young core that they have with 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 Mike Isramsky and. And in and his emergence, and, you, and you're, going, you're going to get back Buster Posey, who's a who's a veteran. Although he is getting older, he'll be 34 um, next season, but still a viable piece for um, for the San Francisco Giants team. Yeah. How do you see the Giants in 2021 making making that move to returning back to the postseason? Do you see them as a potential playoff team, and if not? What are two two reasons why that you see the Giants missing the postseason two thousand twenty one?
1: I think they surprised a lot of people last year. You know, they they came within a game of of making the postseason. I know yeah. it was the expanded the expanded format, but no, I I do think they have a. Sh- I mean, obviously, they're in a tough division. That's probably the the hardest thing they're going to have to overcome is mm-hmm. the Dodgers and Padres are two of the best teams in baseball right there in the NL West. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think the Giants are a postseason uh, contender because their lineup is so good. You know, even last year, their lineup was one of the best in baseball. And you mentioned Yastrzemski, uh, Donovan Solano is another guy that stepped up for them. Joey Bart didn't play great as a rookie, but he's one of the top prospects in baseball. And I think he's going to take a big step this year. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Buster Posey coming back and then some of the other pieces that I didn't even mention, I think their issue is pitching. Their bullpen last year was not very good. It, it really, that cost them actually probably a playoff spot because it it cost them a lot of games. They blew a lot of late leads. If they can find a way to shore up the bullpen and maybe add another starter or two, Mm-hmm. I think they have the pieces to maybe make the playoffs, but as I said, the the their biggest challenge is just the division they're in, because they're not going to win. The, they're not going to beat out the Dodgers to win the division, and the Padres are probably better than they are too, as far as a you know one of the wild card spots. So they're going to have to they're going to have to beat up on everybody else because that's the other thing They having to play the Dodgers and Padres that many times will also work negatively against them. So they're going to have to find a way to to beat up on all the other teams for sure.
0: And last question I'll ask you to wrap up on the podcast. And that is 2020, 2021 you have the A's who are going to be contenders in the AL West. You have the warriors in which they may surprise some people, as you astutely put it, the giants, there are some questions there, but they, they may have a chance. Yeah. The San Jose Sharks, they have they have regressed, uh, unfortunately, and I'm not putting I'm not giving them a whole lot, a whole lot of um cheese, if you will, in terms of making the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2021. So I'll yeah. ask you, what is your prediction for Bay Area sports teams in 2021, including the San, I mean, the San Francisco 49ers, although they they right. have they have been bitten badly by the injury bug, but I think yeah. went healthy They can still be a force in the NFC. So what is your prediction for Bay area sports in 2021?
1: Yeah, I think you summed it up. Well, I'll start with the 49ers who who you just touched on. I think, as you said, if, if they can get back to some semblance of health next year, I still think they're one of the, uh, I, one of the best teams in the NFC when healthy, that defense Mm -hmm. is still phenomenal if they can get all the pieces back. Absolutely. So, I don't worry too much about the 49ers if they can get healthy. And I I think on the offensive side, Kyle Shanahan does a great job of play calling and scheming. Um, So I I think that they can be a contender again in 2021 if they get back healthy. I think you're right on the Sharks. The Sharks are, they've been so good for so long, just consistency. You know, they've Mm -hmm. never won the Stanley Cup, but they're always in the playoffs. They're always a contender. I think finally they're going to have to rebuild a little bit. And they're realizing that they've kind of gotten rid of some of their older veterans and bringing in some more young talent might take a couple of years. So I think it'll be a down year for the sharks. Um, Warriors, as I said, you know, I, I think they're going to surprise some people make the playoffs, maybe win a round or two uh, and then baseball. We'll see. I, I, I do still think the A's will make the playoffs, even though, they're probably going to lose a couple of key pieces in free agency. I don't see them being deep enough to make a, a world series run, but I, I think they'll win the division and the giants. If I had, to, I think they're right on the cusp of being a playoff team. I don't It's going to depend what they do with their pitching staff right now. I don't think they're quite good enough uh, over the course of a full season pitching yeah. wise, mm-hmm. but if they can improve the bullpen a little bit, maybe add a, another key starter maybe they, I think they certainly have a chance. So yeah, it's an interesting time for Bay area sports. They had such a good run for a while with the warriors and the giants a little earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, And then the 49ers making it to the super bowl and and coming up short, not they're not, I don't see any championship teams, but I see a lot of good teams.
0: Ben Ross it has been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And and listen, the last hour and a half has been nothing short of a blast talking baseball and, and, and covering all the topics on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. And I, I certainly would love to have you back on the podcast again real soon.
1: Yeah, man. Sounds good. Thank you. I, I had fun, too. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure.